you would, once again, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's been a great joy to gather together and to worship you, to come together and to hear the word of God being read, to gather together and to pray to you, confessing our sins and rejoicing in the forgiveness that we have received through Christ. Father, we have worshiped you and um, singing of these songs, reminding us of the great truths of the word, singing praise to you, seeking to glorify your name, seeking, Father, to lift your name up and to give you the honor and the respect that you so rightly deserve. Father, we have come, we have given our tithes and our offerings to you as we desire, Father, to support the work that we are doing here collectively, doing all that we can, Father, to ensure that the message of Christ is sent forward through the work of missionaries and through the work that we are involved in, the various outreaches that we do, and providing a meeting place for us to come and to open your word and to study and to worship. And Father, we continue to worship you as we open up the Bible this morning once again to reflect upon the message that is given to us in 2 Corinthians. And Father, we ask that you would give us again clarity of thought, that Lord, we would recognize the truths that are there and be able to understand how they do apply to us in day-to-day -day living. The Father, we may think biblically in, in all things. The Father, we may not be led astray and that we may live in the wisdom of God. We are truly grateful, asking as we always do that you bless our time in your word. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3 once again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. As we continue to deal with really spiritual warfare and the things that Paul is talking about here. I wonder if you ever heard this. This was popular for a while, and it's, and it's still around a great deal in certain circles. If you look at various books on spiritual warfare, or again, hundreds of websites, you may come across how you can break a generational curse. <coughs> sometimes there's four steps, sometimes there's six, sometimes there's 12. Here's six of the most common. There needs to be full surrender to, God, full surrender to God. Then you need to confess the sins of your sinning parent to God the Father. Be willing to forgive your sinning parent. Break any ungodly soul ties with the sinning parent. Break the curse line of the demons. And then verbally command the demons to leave you in the name of Jesus Christ. Some say that generational curses pass down through the bloodline. The demonic spirits implement these curses in the lives of people. There are those who say that many people nowadays suffer from generational curses. Witchcraft, demons, and things of that are brought on their family and they haven't known it. In fact, unknown to many, this means that they're in need of deliverance from generational curses. Maybe the question you might want to ask is, what is a generational curse? Well, what they say is it's simple in terms. A generational curse is linked to our past. Generational curses predispose and oblige us to commit the same sins of our ancestors. 
They can also be evident through illnesses, addictions, financial problems, and many other, many other things that manifest in our lives. These curses are not broken by accepting Christ or by simply pronouncing that acceptance. You will need a powerful deliverance prayer by a powerfully anointed man of God. The website I read that from gives me the name of this man of God so I can call him and ask him to pray over me. And he can remove from me bad luck, which we already have an issue with even that phrase, but anyway, I can be delivered from witchcraft, spells, demons, and I can even have my life restored. It goes on to say that as Christians, what we ought to know is that Christ poured out his blood to forgive our sins. However, an additional step must be taken to get rid of the inherited transgression. This is the prayer of deliverance to cancel that sin. Again, pastor, I will not give you his name, will break all the curse lines of the demons by presenting your plea and petition before God. The man of God will then fast for seven days and present all your problems before the king of kings. There are those who will make this claim that I can help you because I have a spiritual anointing. You don't need boring Bible sermons. This is where the action is. I believe everything in the Bible and I have experienced these things. I have seen God move in powerful ways. I am a conduit for the power of the Holy Spirit. God has shown great things to me and I want to share them with you. You want to be free from bill collectors, disease, conflict, depression? Call me. Just so you know, that's not me, that's him. But I was reading it as if I was him, but it's not me. <laughs> but who knew you could be free from bill collectors by having this guy pray for you? The bottom line is that's the exact same thing in one sense that's going on here in the Church of Corinth. These individuals were saying that Paul was boring, Paul was out, Paul was obsolete because of their experiences, because of their special anointing, the people in Corinth need to listen to them. And of course, Paul is very concerned for these people. Again, not concerned that they're going to follow him or not follow him. He wants them to follow the Lord. He wants them to follow good doctrine and good teaching. But this is one of the ways, a very effective way, that these false teachers worm their way into Christianity or into a church is by making these declarations, by making these statements. And again, in, it is amazing the numbers of people that fall prey to this. Though this was really very common kind of language 20 years ago, much more than it is now, it still has not completely gone away. Again, it's the idea of inheriting a demon or inheriting demonic oppression or activity from the activities or the behaviors of family members. In addition, if you do not verbally and specifically renounce the sins of your family, of your parents, of your grandparents, etc., then you are guilty of allowing Satan's influence to continue in your family for the next several generations to come. In fact, they often say, Satan would actually have a legal hold on your family. Not only that you would be inviting God to punish you and even your children because of your family's sin, especially if it involves witchcraft and the like. There are many, many Christians who struggle with a large number of things, who maybe have experienced a string of negative things or events in their life, and as a result of spiritual immaturity, spiritual weakness, ignorance of the scripture, they cling to individuals who make statements like this. And of course, as I mentioned to you last week, these individuals always say they get these things from the Bible. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 20, and we will go through where they get this from. 
examine where they get this from to see that this is not where they get this from and that you do not have to worry about such things. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 4, says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And so that is where they focus in these teachings that I was reading to you as I was summing those things up. It's all based on this phrase here that God is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers that would be ancestral or generational sins and is passed on to the children even to the third and fourth generation. That's the claim, anyway. Flip over to chapter 34 of Exodus. A similar passage. Beginning in verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, <coughs> keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Again, this kind of teaching is often referred to as generational curses or generational sin. If you really want to, because I can't stop you, just go to Google, type in those things, be amazed at what you will find. Maybe you won't be amazed. But again, what they all emphasize is that if you don't handle it the right way, that would mean that you would be, that you would be greatly hindered in your spiritual growth and that you would be greatly hindered in your progress in sanctification. This also served as a warning for families adopting children as demonic activity and demons themselves could be transferred through bloodlines and through the adopted children and gain access to your, to your Christian home and wreak havoc. I wasn't familiar with all of that all the details of the teaching and I guess I would say the application, but for several years, and again, it's still out there, but there was a warning that not only uh, could your adopted children have issues, but if you adopt children from other countries, they might be bringing demonic activity into your home, and so you would need to pray a prayer to protect your family from your adopted children. One website devoted to generational curses says this, the kingdom of God and darkness operate totally on legal rights. Jesus came to confirm the Old Testament, not to erase God's laws. The whole family pays for the sins that their forefathers committed. In some of their references, they go back to the sin of Achan, when he took some things he was not supposed to take. And remember that if you go through the whole story, he, his wife, his kids, everything, and they were all destroyed and punished for this sin. We're not going to get into the details of all of that, but they're misusing that passage greatly and twisting it for their own ends. They go on to say that Satan comes before the throne and shows legal rights to attack your body or finances. In other words, the picture is, is that Satan appears before God and I guess shows him the paperwork. And the paperwork means that there's nothing God can do. And so Satan is saying, see God, see this, this means I can do whatever I want to them. It is decided on at that point in time that if the claims are valid, then he is allowed to do whatever he wants to against you and your family. They go on to say generational, a, a generational curse. Concerning that, uh, one, one man wrote, I have seen many who were not healed from these diseases even after tons of prayer, though they do have faith. 
Pastors don't understand the reason and blame it on the sick person's lack of faith. After learning about breaking the generational curses, I have seen them that most of these people are healed totally, never to return. Teaching on this takes place, the teaching on this takes about two weeks to deliver a church and lead them through the prayers. So again, it's give me a call and I can take your church through all those things. Some say God is raising up an army today to bring forth a powerful anointing to set the church free, but it must have knowledge. So again, based on Exodus chapter 20, there is a man who wrote several books named Neil Anderson, who teaches that demons are passed from generation to generation. And these demons have a foothold in the lives of Christians because of generational sins. To get the demonic strongholds out of their lives, Christians need to find out what these strongholds are and to perform deliverance ceremonies to break them. Counselors with special knowledge of demonic strongholds are needed if the case is severe. A special diagnostic test is given and the words to be repeated are provided such as, I cancel out all demonic working that has been passed on to me from my ancestors. There is a heretical teacher internationally known named Derek Prince. He says there may be forces that work in our lives that have their origins in previous generations. Consequently, we may be confronted with recurrent situations or patterns of behavior that cannot be explained solely in terms of what happens in our lifetimes or personal experiences. The root cause may go back a long way in time, even thousands of years. Most Christians who should be enjoying blessings are actually enduring curses. They do not understand the basis upon which they can be released. There's this uh, woman named Teresa Castleman who has a deliverance ministry and she has written a deliverance manual. And in her manual, it provides detailed instructions for casting demons out of Christians. She says, call forth those curses that have been allowed through the generations by way of a familiar spirit. We break the hold and command in the name of Jesus that it flee. We command that it go to dry places and tell the, the curse it not be allowed to go into any future generations. Its power and hold is broken forever. I've read the books by Neil Anderson myself. I've read all of them. Uh, there was even a book written by uh, uh, Mark Bubeck called The Adversary. I will tell you that for a while, I bought into some of that stuff. Not all of it, but some of it. The way that it was written was very influential. It seemed very biblical. So you begin to dig into what they're saying and dig into what the scripture says and come to understand. The idea that patterns of sin are passed down through families is, uh, a, again, a very prominent aspect of their teaching. And it seems to make sense because we do know that most of the time, the sins we struggle with will be at least very similar to the sins our parents may have struggled with. It's not always the case, but there's a lot of similarity there. And so we would just assume then that what is being said is true. Everyone sins. But just as culture, ethnicity, and gender steer our patterns of sin in particular directions, our families do as well. And all that's true. But does that then equate to what these individuals are teaching? Turn back to Exodus 20, if you would, for just a moment. Beginning in verse 4, there are certain phrases that we need to make sure we uh, take note of to help us in understanding what is being communicated. In verse 4, it begins with this phrase, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So it immediately tells us that what he's dealing with here is clearly idol worship. He goes on and says, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And then he gives us the obvious statements. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why should we not 
bow down to these idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we ask the question, what is the iniquity of the fathers in verse 5 that is mentioned? It is the making and the bowing down to idols, these carved images that you see in verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. So the normal understanding of this passage, based on the context, is that there are those who say that these are believers who, along with their children, are being cured by God or cursed by God, would need to prove from the text that this is the case. In other words, he's not talking about believers. Believers don't do that. This is a command a warning that's being given to the nation of Israel. Don't do this. But then to assume that the ones who are doing this are Christians, I'm not sure how you get that out of the text, but that's the assumption that is being made. Of course, another point that others have made is this. If you're going to say that third and fourth generations of believers are cursed due to the sin of their forefather, then you would need to also say that God is going to bless basically a thousand generations due to the love and obedience of their forefathers. Now, we do know that many of us have experienced blessings because of our parents' faithfulness. But this idea that is passed down to our children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren just because our great-grandparents obey God, there's, that's not in the Bible. And it's de definitely not dealing with salvation. Also, you will note when you read in Exodus chapter 20, there are no demons, there are no evil spirits that are mentioned. You'd be hard-pressed to say that this text teaches generational <laughs> or even inherited demonic strongholds or curses. All we have here is sin and its punishment. That's all he's dealing with here. The Bible makes it clear that when it comes to punishment for sin, each individual will be punished for their sins, not someone else's. Read Ezekiel 18. It's all about that. In fact, he accuses Israel of somehow thinking that God is unfair because he doesn't do that. But he makes it clear over and over again that the sin, that the one who sins, he's the one who's going to die. And talks about the fact that there is the one who, who has lived a life of sin, but then turns and repents and does well, God says he will live. And then it goes on to say that there's the individual who's lived his whole life doing righteousness, and then at the end of his life, he begins to do evil and become consumed with evil, and God says he's going to die because of his sins. And he holds each individual responsible. And as you know, I, I've talked before about doing a great deal of, of research in the scripture concerning our present-day view of addiction, and one of the things that is key throughout the Bible, what we all sometimes take for granted is God always, in every situation, in every circumstance, holds each individual person responsible for, responsible for everything they do and say. So even if one is addicted to drugs or what have you, those things did not make that person do anything. They don't. They don't make you do something you would not otherwise do. It may, we, we may feel less inhibited, but we're still doing what we are choosing to do. And we are still held, God, there's never going to be time in the judgment where God says to an individual, like he won't say to Hitler, he won't say, you know, yeah, I know your dad wasn't around much when you were raised. That has a lot to do with your anger issues and what you did. So, I, you know, I'm going to have to really take it easy on you. That, that's not going to happen. He's going to hold him personally liable for everything that he did, period. That's, that's, the, that's the idea of God judging. And that's what the scripture teaches. There's other problems with this teaching as a whole, this idea of, again, generational curses or inheriting demonic activity or influence or however they word it. The teaching does deny in the end the sufficiency of the atonement of Christ. Because according to this teaching, and I read it to you in the beginning, 
If one repents from a life of sin, the forgiveness of sin through the death of Christ is not sufficient to free you from the bondage of sin or from the power of Satan. But Colossians, that I read this morning, uh, after our prayer and confession, beginning in verse 12, says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the dominion or from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. When the Bible speaks of you and I being delivered from the domain of darkness, when the Bible speaks of you and I being forgiven, it always uses language that helps us to understand that this has been accomplished for us. It has already been done. We talk about the, 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 the one-time death of Jesus Christ. He paid for all of our sin then. We are forgiven of all of our sin. The power of sin over us is broken. When you go through Romans 6, it makes it clear, unfortunately for us, that when we as believers sin, in one sense, we're always sinning on purpose. We never have to sin again. We do because of the weakness of the flesh and all those issues. But again, even in that, God holds us responsible, not your forefathers. Acts chapter 26, beginning of verse 15. And I said, clearly this is Paul uh, on, on, uh, at his conversion, he, uh, and I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, and, what, turn from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The scripture also teaches us that we are new creatures in Christ and old things have passed away, and then it adds all things have become new. And again, over and over in the Bible, it makes it clear that we've been delivered from the power of sin. It was accomplished by Christ. Search the scriptures and you will find no prayers concerning curses. You'll find no instruction concerning curses or protecting adopted children or protecting families from their adopted children or cleansing a house or even binding Satan from dreams. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning of verse 4. Remember these words. Paul writes, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Then you jump down to verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not bondage, but freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Then in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Nowhere in any of these statements does Paul even hint that beware because of the sins of your ancestors, this process will be hindered. Oh, by the way, if there's, if there's witchcraft in your family tree, here's a special prayer of deliverance so the rest of this can happen. None of that is in the scripture or even hinted at in any way, shape, or form. It is a Gnostic form uh, of teaching when any individual says they have been given a special message by God that does not correspond with the clear and plain teaching of the Bible. They are claiming special revelation, that they are in some kind of a unique position, for whatever the reason, to receive this extra-biblical communication from God to help us along the way. And some of them, even as I've read to you this morning, would even say that accepting Jesus Christ is not enough. That receiving forgiveness of sins is not enough. And it is. The Bible definitely makes it clear that we are new, create a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are no longer identified by your sin. We are, yes, sinners, but we are always sinners saved by the grace of God. Always. We are, all, we, are, we are never dominated by sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that we actually have to give in to sin for sin to dominate our life, but that's still what we are choosing to allow to take place. It is not because we are in the position of the non-believer who must sin because everything they do is out of rebellion to God. We don't need to live in fear that there are generational curses on our families unless we pray a certain kind of prayer or have a certain minister who has a certain kind of anointing to either pray with you over the phone or come to your house, or I guess now you can do it through Zoom. We don't need that. We don't need these individuals coming in and praying on those who are weak believers and keeping believers weak. What we need to recognize is the truth of what the Word of God says. We need to embrace what the Word of God says. We need to live in light of the truth of the Word of God. You need to embrace that you are forgiven. That you no longer have to sin. That you have now been regenerated and you are now spiritually alive to God. You were spiritually dead before. Now that you have placed your faith in Christ, you are alive to God. And you don't need these special deliverances. Do we need to pray for each other? Yes, that's the function of the body. Not because of any special anointing that we have. In fact, if you go through the book of 1 John... Uh, there were, the Gnostic teachers were there and they were leading believers astray. And John makes it clear that we all have an anointing. That el uh, immediately eliminates this special anointing idea. All of us can approach the throne of grace and find our help in time of need. We all know that. We don't, there, you don't need a special minister. In fact, ministers or pastors have been appointed by God and gifted to what? To teach the word of God. To teach it phrase by phrase, word by word. A verse by verse, text by text, to explain what God has said, not to run around delivering new information. There is no new information. Everything we need is here in the Word of God. And so if you in your family, if you've experienced what we might call a string of bad luck, if there's just, it just seems that in your life that, that nothing ever seems to go straight, it's not going to be because of what your grandfather did. When we look at the Bible, what we begin to discover is it may be simply because of your bad decisions. You've made bad decisions and you're still paying the consequences for those things. Even if you made those decisions before you came, became a believer, even though your sins are forgiven, we sometimes still suffer the consequences of our past sin. 
You, you may have damaged your body, let's say it's through drug use. When you became a believer, God going to instantly heal you of all the effects of all the drugs you ever took. He can do that. It seems at times, I think he has. But most of the time, that doesn't happen. And so you will have to live with those effects for the rest of your life. We don't view that as a bad thing. What we recognize is the grace of God and how much worse it could be and that God has delivered me. And there's a day coming when I will no longer limp or no longer cough or no longer wheeze for air or whatever the case may happen to be. I've been free from the power of sin. I never have to live that way again. I'm no longer that person. And so that, that's why we accept each other as believers. That's why we, again, rejoice over, over those who come to Christ. So again, as we gather together as believers, we do pray for each other, but we pray the same things we pray for ourselves. That we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we would continue to live in obedience, that we would rejoice in God our Savior, relish in the joy He gives us, share Christ with those that we come in contact with, and resist sin. And so we seek to encourage each other, both in, in, presently when we are together and then as we pray for each other. And so this foolishness that's out there, which sometimes I think even will allow certain believers off the hook, so to speak, to no longer have to wrestle with their sin because, oh, well, it's not really me, it's because of my grandfather. And I didn't know this, but all the things I had done wrong was because my grandmother was a witch. And I've been passing along that, that generation of curse for all these years, and now that I've made this incantation, this special prayer, now we're free from that. It's just not like that. Now we do know this, and so we want to make sure we're clear on this. We may suffer the consequences of the sins of our forefathers. You're, if your father was an alcoholic, and, and your father was hardly ever home, or he also suffered with his temper because of his drinking, you did suffer from that. Th there may be psychological scars in your life as a result. There may be certain fears that you have, or you may even be malnourished because you didn't care for the family as you ought to, and so you suffer the consequences of that. But God's not punishing you for his sin. That's not what's going on. When you and I are driving down the road and all of a sudden someone in, in a drunken stupor runs a red light and smashes into you and now you need a new hip and a new knee and maybe a new ankle, that's not God doing that to you because of what your grandmother did. That's the sin of that individual. And we know that as long as we live in this world, we're going to suffer the consequences of the sins of others as well as our own. We live in a world that is cursed by sin. And without the aid of anyone else, we all get older and get sick. And we're all going to die until the Lord comes. And it's not because of a generation of curse, unless we're speaking of the generation of curse of Adam. And the Bible makes it very clear that was broken by Christ. And so we can live free. You may be amazed if you listen for certain phrases that you may have friends or people that you know that may all of a sudden with great excitement say, oh, I just learned. And I think my family's now free from a generational curse. It's hard to have a conversation with them, depending on where they're at, that the Bible doesn't really know anything about that. And they've been duped for a lot of different reasons. You see, that was Paul's concern this whole time as he's writing his letter to, these, to the Corinthians. Is this bad doctrine that these men were bringing in? Now, they weren't bringing in that one. This is how this applies to us today. That the same way that people were claiming that they had the authority to teach these things, that's what's infiltrated the church. And that's why it's our responsibility always, whether you come here or you end up moving and going to another church. 
we have responsibility to open our Bibles and to read it and to study it for ourselves as well as check the one who is preaching to make sure they're teaching faithfully what the Word of God says. We all need to do that and then continue to grow together and really enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. There may be difficulties in someone's life because of their involvement in these kinds of things, absolutely. But we don't need all these other types of instructions that are being given to us to be free. You don't need these special pastors. Just so you know, on this one website I was looking at, this individual, you couldn't find a picture of this pastor. He's in the UK, and he's offering all kinds of deliverance. And throughout the website, uh, there is a photograph of a pastor that he uses. Never uses his name either. It's a photograph of Billy Graham. And in the caption, it says on some of his web, on some of the pages that you can click on, he says, do you recognize this pastor? And then it doesn't say anything else. And the implication is that this is the guy who's going to be praying for you. Which in the end, it really does bottom out with this. It's, it's send money. And then this individual can do this, and he's going to fast for seven days. Just so you know, I don't believe he's going to fast for seven days. I don't think so. If he does, then he's a thin man. But I've not seen him. But we need to be wary of these things. And stick with the word of God. We no longer need to live in fear. Why? Because as the scripture says, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has already transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It is in Christ we have redemption. We've been purchased from the marketplace of sin. We have received the forgiveness of our sins. We stand before God dressed in the robes of the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, we know for a fact that on the day of our death, we will be ushered into heaven. There will be no looking for our name in a book. He already knows we're coming. He already knows we're on the right list because he, they can see us coming from afar because they recognize the righteousness of Christ that we are dressed in and will be ushered in in a tremendous ceremony where there'll be great rejoicing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and goodness and that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness. Father, we know that there is a great deal of teaching that is out there, that some individuals in ignorance, many doing so purposely, seeking to take advantage of others for various reasons, to lure them into their web of deceit and lies, whether it's to have power over them, whether it's for financial gain or maybe a combination of all these things. We know, Lord, that people have used the word and used the name of Jesus for decades, for centuries, seeking to gain an advantage over man. We thank you, Lord, that we've been freed from all of that. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word to depend upon, that we can read for ourselves and that we can use to guide and direct us, that would give to us, instill in us the wisdom of God, that we may know the truth. We ask, Lord, that we be reignited in our desire to read the scriptures, to know the scriptures, that we would not be led astray. We are grateful, Lord, that at times in our lives when we have been led astray, we've been brought back to the right path. I know, Lord, that's happened to me, and I'm grateful. Father, we also desire to not be led astray in the future. For we are human beings, and we are weak, and we are susceptible to this. May we never for a moment imagine that we are not susceptible to bad teaching. We pray, Lord, that we would cling to you, cling to Christ, 
cling to your word, and cling to other mature believers as we seek to help each other along to fulfill your word in our lives. And Father, as always, we pray for those here this morning who may not know Christ, who are still in spiritual darkness, who cannot understand nor be discerning when it comes to spiritual things because they are blind. We pray that you would open their eyes to see the truth of Christ, to see the justice of Christ, the love of Christ, to see the sacrifice of Christ, to believe in Christ, to receive from Christ the forgiveness of their sins, that they, Father, too, may claim with us that they have been delivered from the domain of darkness and they have, been re and they have received the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, for your great love and consistency and your promises to us. We do ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.